0: Uh, We're going to read our scripture together today. Our gospel lesson, it comes from John 20, and we're going to read verses 19 through 31. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds on his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we invite you into this space. We believe that you are the God who enters the room, just like the story we read. And so I ask in your mercy, would you enter the rooms uh, that so many of us are watching this in? We love you and we're grateful uh, for moments together uh, to take our eyes off of the madness all around us and to put our eyes uh, on you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Have you ever asked the wrong question at the wrong time? Uh, Kids are so refreshing with this uh, because they don't care at all if it's the right question or if it's the right time or any of those things. They don't care if questions are awkward. They just ask them. And uh, so years ago, when my twins were really little, uh, we were visiting my brother in Charlotte, and uh, my family was there. And my sister-in-law Molly, her family was there, and we're all staying in like this big house uh, together. And so early one morning, um, we were awake because kids don't care if you're on vacation; uh, they really don't. They will get up whenever the heck they want to. Uh, and so we we're up so early, and we're playing with the dogs that that lived at this house. And and one of the dogs um, ran through the kitchen and. into the guest room, into the guest bathroom, and into the guest room where my sister-in-law, Molly's parents, David and Diane, were still asleep. And so, of course, Campbell and Graham, my sons, they just, like, follow the dogs into the room without even thinking that there might be someone there asleep. Um, And so there's all this commotion because they're yelling at the dogs, which is um, uh, hilarious, maybe not at the time, but, like, they don't know how to talk to a dog at this point, so they're just trying to, like, gain authority with an animal via volume. And um, so everyone, uh, the, the dogs and the boys, they seem so oblivious to poor David and Diane, who are no longer asleep, but have been woken up in this wild way. And and so I, fi- I have to go into this room to try to get the dogs out and get my kids out. And I'm like doing the thing where you're like pro- uh, apologizing profusely. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And they're the sweetest people in the world. And so they're like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like acting like it's a totally normal way to wake up on vacation. And um, I'm dying inside, but they're so precious. And they're laughing about it and they're just being so sweet. And so finally, I like um, have everybody rallied and we're headed out the door, all the dogs, all the kids. And right as soon as we uh, get out, Graham turns around and he looks at Molly's dad, David. He looks him in the eye and he says, I have a question. And I'm like, no, like you can ask that question later. Like no questions before eight o'clock in the morning on vacation. That's just not a thing anymore. But David, again, he's so precious. And he says, it's okay, buddy. You can ask me. And Graham looks David again, right in the eyes with Graham's big, curious eyes. And he says, how come you have so much hair on the sides of your head, but you don't have any on the top of your head? He said, You've got a lot of hair all over the sides, but you've got none hairs on the top of your head, and I just want to know why. And I was dying. And I just wonder if that feeling, that like gut embarrassing, like, oh gosh, this is so awkward feeling, uh, is anything like the moment uh, that we just read about when the disciples watch an interaction between Thomas and Jesus. Uh, At the very beginning of our scripture uh, reading today, we find that the disciples, we find them hiding and terrified behind locked doors. And John, he tells us that suddenly they're hiding in this room and then, and then suddenly Jesus appears in the room, which is bananas, right? I don't understand it, but John says Jesus is all of a sudden in the room. And, and so he comes in the room where they are, the room where they're hiding behind a locked door, terrified, confused, wondering what the faith that they had given up their entire lives for might have to still offer them in this current situation. Jesus suddenly appears and he does what he always does. He doesn't just enter the room with them, Jesus, he enters into their lives, their fear, their sad, their hiding, and their confusion. And it's kind of funny to me that he he doesn't enter uh, with all the explanations or all of the answers to their questions about uh, his death and resurrection and what all of that meant uh, for them. Instead, he enters the room and he gives them what they need most in this very moment. He gives them him. What they need is him. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, appears with and as the word of peace in the middle of their wild, giving them uh, what they needed more than anything, more of himself. And then he, he commissions them and he, then he literally breathes power and hope and peace upon them and he breathes the Holy Spirit into their lungs. And I don't know where Thomas was during that party, but he wasn't with them. And so, at some point, the disciples uh, let Thomas know what happened, and they say, "We've seen the Lord," and and all these incredible things happen. But but Thomas, he's he's not an easy sell, and he's not really buying it. He's uh, still got doubts, and he still has questions, and he says, "I'm not going to believe it until I see Jesus with my own eyes, and I put my hands in his his wounds." So. The chance happens. Eight days later, after uh, this first visit from Jesus, the disciples again find themselves uh, in a locked room. And once again, Jesus uh, appears in the room. And once again, that's bananas. And uh, Jesus, he appears suddenly. And again, he offers uh, a word of peace. And then he looks at Thomas. He looks at Thomas, Thomas and he opens up his arms. And I wonder what the disciples felt like in that moment when uh, Graham asked David that super awkward question about being bald. I froze, like my body was waiting, like frozen in the awkward, waiting for David to scold Graham or like be super hurt by him or something like that. And that's that's how I picture the disciples in this moment, just frozen in the awkward waiting for Jesus to scold Thomas or to shame him frozen in the looming awkward waiting for Jesus to let him have it. But just like David uh, to Graham, Jesus doesn't scold Thomas and he he doesn't shame him. And that is so fascinating to me. It's so fascinating to me that Jesus doesn't let Thomas have it, He, he doesn't scold him. In the church, uh, most often Thomas is remembered and memorialized for being a doubter. And and not really memorialized like in the hero sense, more memorialized like a warning, like a everybody believed it except for Thomas kind of way. Uh, Doubting Thomas has been his nickname for 2,000 years. There are nicknames that uh, people have given me that I tried to kill within 20 minutes because they were so terrible. For 2,000 years, uh, no one says the name of Thomas without saying or thinking or noting first and foremost him as a doubter. It's like his nickname reminds everyone of the disappointment in him. But that isn't really how Jesus treats Thomas at all. He doesn't appear Disappointed and hurt, he doesn't scold him for doubting. He invites him into faith. In this moment, Jesus doesn't shame Thomas, he honors him. Thomas has requested and required access to the wounds of Jesus in order to believe And Jesus. The king who could have shamed him for his disbelief, he honors him instead. We often uh, think that our questions and our doubts keep us from the presence of Jesus, but that isn't what we see here. We see the opposite. In his questions and doubts, Jesus gives Thomas more of him, not less. More access, not less. Jesus, he doesn't uh, take a step back. He takes a step forward toward him. He opens his hand and invites Thomas into the holes in his arms. He lifts his shirt and shows him the wound in his side. Uh, Mike Iaconelli says in this moment, what Jesus does is he honors Thomas's holy curiosity. I get it. I get why Thomas needed to put his hands in the wounds to feel and to see and to experience the presence of Jesus in the world he thought that Jesus had abandoned. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's the wounded places where I doubt the most too. The hungry bellies and the cancers and the mental illnesses and the days of a virus that feel like it will never And the places where God feels confusing or powerless or worst of all, apathetic, those are the places that I doubt the most. And so I get why Thomas needed to stick his hands into them, to stick his hands into the wounds of Jesus. Why he needed the chance to feel with his own hands the pain and the suffering of this world that inhabited within Jesus to know that Jesus wasn't sweeping suffering underneath the rug, that he wasn't apathetic to all of the fear and trauma and suffering that had overtaken the disciples in a matter of days. He he needed his hands to touch the wounds, to know in a deeper way that Jesus doesn't look away from the pain of our world. He bears it. He bears it. I love Uh, that in this moment, like so many other moments in the gospel, Jesus makes room for Thomas's questions and doubts and holy curiosities. He didn't kick him out of the room. He makes room for him. It's like the Bible tells us the opposite of what so many of us have been taught. With Jesus, uh, there don't seem to be any wrong or out of bounds questions. Thomas is doubting the resurrection The whole thing that our faith hinges on, he's doubting the resurrection and Jesus makes room for him. All throughout the gospels, people ask the wildest things and he just keeps answering them. When you're hungry for more of Jesus, there aren't any wrong questions. There also aren't always uh, tied with a bow answers. When we dare to ask, when we dare to reach out into the hurt and into the wounds and into the confusing places, there is always more of Jesus to be had. Thomas's doubts, his questions, they didn't make him less intimate or deep with Jesus. Just the opposite happened. Rather than running from his questions, Thomas ran to Jesus They drew him into the God who would catch him within all the things that he was unsure about. Thomas, he doesn't end up with less of Jesus. He ends up with something far more intimate. John tells us uh, that Thomas, with his hands on Jesus's wounds, cries out, my Lord and my God. The Hebrew is Adonai Eli. The phrase, it's a phrase we find in the Psalms like 40 times. The psalmists say it as like this endearing phrase for God, declaring God uh, in a beautifully intimate kind of way. It's the closest a good Jewish boy would have ever gotten to calling someone else the Jehovah. It is essentially translated, my dearest. It's a phrase of gushy intimacy, Jesus, he makes room for Thomas to touch his wounds and Thomas experiences a depth and a love beyond anything he has ever experienced. And he gushes, my dearest God, my dearest God. See, we don't doubt things that we don't care about. Daniel, he spends a lot of time doubting the efficacy of our gutters. You know what I've never doubted? Our gutters, cause I don't care. Uh, It's enough to me that Daniel, my husband, cares about our gutters. Uh, But what we do care about uh, makes room for doubt. It's why there are cold feet before you get married. It's why you're 100% sure you took the wrong job or picked the wrong college or bought the wrong car just seconds after uh, the official no turning back point. Uh, Paul Tillich calls doubt uh, the consequence of the risk of faith. We dare to doubt what matters to us. Holy curiosity, it's saved for the things worth our questions and worth our wondering and worth our risk. So I have big arguments that Thomas is remembered in some kind of negative way uh, for his doubt, for his holy curiosity. I think Thomas is very much worth remembering, but less for his doubting and more for the faith that it produced. Thomas goes on, uh, writers tell us, the early church fathers tell us he goes on to India to like plant churches and uh, lead people to Jesus. He's killed there. He has this incredible story. The whole story of Thomas is not just him doubting the facts. It's also a story of him longing for more of Jesus. Over the years, we have reduced faith to just uh, believing that, that we, we've said that faith is believing a series of things about God and who he is. But faith isn't um, getting comfortable with facts about Jesus. Faith is getting uncomfortable, getting into uncomfortable moments with Jesus. For Thomas, uh, hearing about what happened on on the night that he wasn't in the room with the disciples, it wasn't enough just to hear facts about Jesus. He needed to touch and he needed to see and he needed to hear. He was longing for an interaction with the risen Christ. His faith led him to the presence of the holy into dangerous proximity to the heart of Jesus, and he touches the wounds in Jesus' hands and in his side and I think in this moment he he was overwhelmed by the hope and the peace and the forgiveness and the rescue of Jesus, so much so that he blurted out an embarrassingly intimate and gushy declaration, "My dearest God, my dearest God, for me." This is the wildest invitation of Jesus because it's so different from what I expect from him. Normally for me, I'm embarrassed of my doubts and I'm ashamed of my questions and I don't call my curiosities holy. I think they're bad for some reason. I act like a scared kid waiting to be scolded. But here, Jesus takes the very thing that I think will keep me from him and his invitation is to use it to offer me more of him more depth, more faith, more hope, more peace, more purpose, more of him and more of the spirit, my dearest Lord, my dearest God. And so my hope is that we can take just a few, uh, seconds, maybe a minute just to be a little bit quiet for our say all today. I'm just going to be quiet. Um, to allow space and room for you to bring uh, the questions and holy curiosities you have uh, before Jesus. And maybe uh, space and room to allow, uh, put our, to allow ourselves to be put in dangerous proximity uh, to him. To make room for Jesus to give you what you need most this minute. More of him. Not scolding or maybe even super clean answers, but more of him. The Prince of Peace. So we'll be quiet and then I'll pray for us. So, God, I thank you that you meet us where we are in the locked rooms of our hearts, in the locked rooms of our souls, that you meet our questions and our doubts and our curiosities not with shame or scolding or disappointment, but with an invitation into greater faith with open arms, giving us access to your most intimate places. Our dearest Lord and our dearest God, we thank you that you have not given up on us because we don't understand everything. And so I pray that, um, I pray that as the week continues for us, that you would uh, meet us in the quiet places, meet us in um, the the questions we have that we're embarrassed about, that you would meet us in um, our fears and our hopes and our dreams. We thank you that you love us, that you're with us, and that you're for us. In your name we pray, amen.